0: I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Galatians, chapter 6. The book of Galatians, chapter 6. And I want to begin reading at verse 7. I want to express thanksgiving to so many people yesterday. And actually, uh, actually over the last probably three or four days, as a matter of fact, that, that did so much, and I mean so much, that um, to, to just be such a blessing in the uh, women's conference. And I'd like you to do something, would you mind standing? Would you, I, I mean, if you were pitching in, I, I don't, we had people parking cars, we had people stirring the soup, <laughs> we had people praying, we had all kinds. Of, come on, stand up right now. There's a lot of men in here too. Men, won't you stand? We wanna recognize you. Wow. I'm not so sure if everybody stood there, but I I will tell you this, it takes a lot of people to just successfully, wonderfully uh, provide a, a day of blessing like this, so that the focus is on God and not just the processes and all of that thing, that the focus really is on God. Thank you so very much. I I tell you what, if we were handing out MVP uh, plaques, uh, I I just believe every one of you deserve one. So that's a lot of MVPs (laughs) in one season. And so thank you so very much, so gracious. And ladies, just one other thing, don't forget you're eating pizza Thursday, Thursday night, 6.30, Pasquale's, Humboldt, End of announcements. And don't eat it all because maybe I'll get some leftovers. That's kind of a nice thing, too. Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 7. This is what the Bible says Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will reap the, I'm sorry, will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And then I've chosen a text from the book of Hosea, which is an interesting parallel to what Paul said there. But Hosea the prophet said this centuries before Paul. Hosea chapter 8 and verse 7 simply says, For they shall sow to the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. I want you to keep that in mind. You who sow to the wind, we shall reap the whirlwind. Ladies and gentlemen, the entire universe is under the control of a set of precise and unchanging laws. And I think you know some of these. In many ways, the study of science is a study of physical laws. For example, there's a law of gravity. I, I should have brought something up here, but if I held some, I don't even know what I've got in my pocket. Microphone, I could drop it. What's that? Huh? See, you see what it did? You see what it did? That wasn't my fault. Just don't step on that. (laughs) Gravity made that thing drop. So I mean, if you you can test this out in many ways yourself, but I don't recommend it. But gravity causes things. If that was on the moon, Joan could have thrown that at me and it kind of floated around out here for a while, because we're dealing with no gravity and things like that. this is something that, uh, that you probably are very much aware of. It's called the law of inertia. In other words, an object in motion continues in motion with the same speed and in the same direction unless acted upon by an unbalanced force. That's why you wear seat belts. Because if your car hits a brick wall and you don't have your seat belt on, you're gonna keep going at the same speed that car was and you're gonna go right through the windshield and into the brick wall. These are laws, and they do not change. I think it's interesting, the eminent geologist James Dwight Dale told the graduating class of Yale University, he made this announcement and it captured my attention here. He says, as you face scientific problems, remember there is nothing truer in the universe than the scientific statements of the Word of God. Wow, that's something coming out of Yale University. The Bible is not only accurate when it comes to physical facts, but it explains to us this is not an accident. This is a part of the divine design of God that works. Long before the voyages of Columbus and and other adventurers who would prove that the earth was round, it was initially thought everything was flat And if you could reach the end of it, you'd just simply fall off this this earth like you would fall off a table. But God was way ahead of him because in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 22, the word of God says, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth. God had it figured out. And that's because God made it. He invented it. The ancient Greeks recognized there was a standard of right and wrong, and there was a law of sowing and reaping. The Bible is very crystal clear about this moral law, this moral choice. In Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar had great grandeur and majesty, and yet he became arrogant in his pridefulness, and he declared, I am a god. And God says, no, you're not. Nebuchadnezzar was removed from the throne and caused by God himself to literally eat grass in a pasture like a, like a cow. Humbling. But it didn't stop there. He was followed by a guy named Belshazzar. Belshazzar had pride issues. He hosted a huge party in which there was nothing more than a debauched, drunken, immoral mess and finally God says, I've had enough of this. I've had enough of this. And the Bible says, a hand appeared on the wall. Not the arm, just a hand and began to write in a language that no one knew No one could describe what was being written, and somebody says, I believe we should go get Daniel, because in Daniel, there is a good spirit in him. They went and got Daniel, Daniel read it. Daniel knew what it was, and he spoke to power that night and said, God has numbered your kingdom and put an end to it. You have been weighed on the scales and found to be deficient, and your kingdom is now given to the Medes and the Persians, and that night that ended the Babylonian Empire. I'll tell you what, God's got things in control. I think sometimes we look around our world and we say, wow, that thing's, that thing's spinning off into a weird direction. We look at our own government and say, wow, this thing is... I, Who knows what's going to happen? I can tell you this. God knows what's going to happen. God understands this. God created. And then he hands it over to people like us. And uh, we managed to find ways to really, really get it messed up. I saw a post on George Soros the other day who simply says, I am a God and I run things. Well... Guess who has something to say about that? Read Acts chapter 12. I believe it was, I believe it was one of the Caesars who said the same thing. I am a god. God said, no you're not. And worms begin to eat him from the inside out. Yeah, I agree. I tell you, it's tough. You don't want to mess with, you don't want to mess with a a holy God. I know we we folks. We have plenty of Nebuchadnezzars today. We've got the Belshazzar. We've got the Neros running around, and all of these things. We have millions today who call out, "There are no absolutes. I can do as I wish. There is no God. All of these things we hear it today. God would never punish us. He's a good God." God doesn't send down fire and brimstone and and punishments and everything, you want to bet. I wouldn't take that to Las Vegas because he still does. Much of the world today snubs their nose at God almost like they're daring him to do anything. I dare you to do this. Well, God is going to do something because there is a law of sowing and reaping. Our text says it all. God is not mocked. There's a grim reality in front of us that, that God holds a scale, if you will. He holds a scale, if you will, and the flesh side, if the flesh side dominates my life, then... I'm going to be reaping the things of the flesh. If God dominates my life, then I I reap the things that God brings blessing into. And that blessing may not always show up immediately uh, or anything like that, but I guarantee you God brings blessing. The word mocked, It's a word interesting, it deserves to be looked at for a moment here. The word means to turn up the noise. It means to ridicule, and it means to sneer or ignore. In other words, God is not to be sneered at or ignored or just turn up the noise when God starts to speak. I believe the Holy Spirit does speak. I believe he bears witness. I believe he's doing that right now in this church service. I believe there is a witness of the spirit of the living God bearing a voice inside people's hearts and in people's lives. That voice is not heard by me. It's not heard by the person sitting next to you. But I guarantee you, people sitting in here right now, that voice is heard by you. You know God is talking. You know God is speaking. You know God has something to say to you, and He wants you to listen. He's urging you to listen. And that's what we certainly need to do. It's very stupid to think, I can outwit God, and think you're going to harvest something different than you have sown. Every farmer in this congregation knows that if you sow corn in that field over there, you're going to reap what? You're going to get corn out of that field. You're not going to get soybeans. You're not going to get wheat. You're not going to get potatoes. You're going to get corn. And whatever you sowed in that field, you're going to get more of it than what you sowed. These are the laws of sowing and reaping that are in effect. And in then verse 8 he who sows to the flesh, sows to the you sow to the flesh or you sow to the spirit. In other words, I'm going to sow, but I'm gonna reap this. The false teachers of that day and the Galatians were falling prey to, they made the demand for the necessity, they said, yeah, you need to, you need to come to Jesus, but you don't have to change your life. You don't have to turn things around. Repentance isn't what, what you think it is. Repentance is exactly what God says it is. Repentance means I change my life. I go in a different direction. I need God's help to do that. I really can't do it very well on my own, so I count on God's help, count on God's strength and his power to help me to see that my life is changed. But these Galatians were being told, no, you really don't have that. You can just go on living. You can raise your hand in church service and say, yes, I accepted Jesus and all of that stuff. But let me tell you something, folks. It requires a change in life. And when the change of life has not occurred, it brings to question, huge question. Was there really faith? Was there really belief? Did anything really happen? Or did the emotion of that moment just cause me to say, I want God? Folks, I tell you what, these are serious things. We sow and we reap. We sow and we we reap. Paul says, don't be deceived. Listen to me. You know, it's one thing to be deceived by an outsider who desires to lead you astray, and there's plenty of that in the church today. There's plenty of it. There are false teachers, I swear, on every street corner and everything. Every time you turn around, you can probably find one. And they sprinkle enough of the Bible into it to make it sound, well, you know, it sounds kinda good. It sounds about right, and all of these things. And I think deep down sometimes we want it to be right. We really do want it to be right. but we might question it. You know what? I think God and every person in this room, every believer, every Christ follower in this room, has a sense of discernment in their life. And I, you, you, you could call it a lot of different things. It's kind of like that still small voice. You hear something and there's just something on the inside that says, hmm, not quite sure. I want that, but I'm not quite sure. Listen to the voice. Listen to the voice. If God wants you to have it, believe me, he will say it louder, he will say it stronger, he will say it more often until you say, I get it. I get it. And in the meantime, you have the opportunity to say, let me check this out with the Word. Let me check this out, how this resonates with this book. Because I've got news for you, God isn't doing stuff today that's not in the book. If you can't find it in the book, walk away, okay? Not everybody wants to hear that advice. Not everybody wants that counsel, but it's true. I'll talk about this maybe in a moment but in the great azusa street revival in los angeles and that began in 1906 ran for a couple of years you know i see what you see cuz i've got a screen back there one of the things that was very interesting in the leadership the leadership of that great revival were godly people and they believed that they wanted god but they wanted the reality of God. Not just a bunch of fluff and stuff like this. And they kept saying, we will check it out by the Word of God. We will check it out by the Word of God. There were people who were pushing this direction, this direction, and this direction. Let's do this. It's it's good, 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 good. We will check it out by the Word of God. And those people sometimes felt that the leadership was just a little slow. You know, you ought to get up with it. You ought to speed it up. We will check it out with the word of God. The prophet Hosea, chapter 8, verse 7. For they shall sow to the wind and they shall reap the whirlwind. In essence, they have trusted flimsy teaching, followed in carelessness. They did not test, they did not prove. And God says, you cannot, you now reap the whirlwind. Hosea depicts Israel as abandoning God He depicts them as walking away from true godliness and true righteousness. And they were going after all kinds of other things going on. And God calls them on this. God calls them out on this. He calls Israel these names. I mean, it's kind of interesting. He says, you're like a promiscuous wife. He says, you're like an ungrateful son. He says, you're like a stubborn heifer. You guys in here that raise some cattle, you know what I'm talking about. A stubborn heifer, that is something else. It says, you're like grapes in the wilderness, and yet, despite all of these things, God says, I still love you, I still love you, and I still am reaching out to you, but I'm reaching out. I'm reaching you out in the sense that I want you to turn it around. I want you to repent of these things. Follow only me, just me. That's it, just me. I believe today God's people must make a deliberate Courageous stand for truth and clearly show that we are genuine believers and followers of Christ. Not merely those who just say, I profess Jesus, I profess Christ, but I mean our lives reflect it. Our lives look like it. Our lives are lived out day in, day out. We are what we are on Sunday morning and the same thing on Monday morning. It's no different. I've contended for many times, we must take a strong stand against sin. It's got to be strong, lukewarmness. Let's face it, folks, we've traveled a long ways from God. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3 says, You shall, have, <clears throat> you shall not have other gods before me. It's simple. It's back to God, and back to the book. Back to God, back to the book. That's where we are. And that's where God wants us today. You cannot make up your own definitions of what is right and what's wrong. God tells us what's right. He tells us what's wrong. I can't change that. I don't, I don't think we should attempt to change it. It's not up to me to redefine it or anything like that. You are made in the image of God. Listen to me, saints. I, I talked about this in my adult Sunday school class. But I tell you what. God has put within you what I call a core of knowledge of him. It's encoded in, in your heart. This You are different. You are unique from any other creation that God, God, God made. You are so different that God encoded something in your heart of a God consciousness. You want... <coughs> You want God. I desire God. And even though sometimes that gets covered up with all kinds of layers of this, that, and everything, still deep down, there is a God consciousness. And I say that this morning in particular because I know there are parents here, perhaps parents that have a prodigal child, a child that's sort of wandered off into a strange land, and, and, and they're not living for God. They're not loving God. They're not caring about God in their life. I'm going to tell you something. There's hope. And so we keep praying. We keep seeking God. We keep calling that name out to God. Why? Because of that God consciousness deep down, deep down. That prodigal son came back to God. Why? Because when he looked up after eating in a pig pen, he saw the face of that old hog bang, something kicked in. And the Bible says so. He came to himself. Those are the words of scripture. He came to himself. He says, I'm going back to dad's place. And I'm going to ask for forgiveness. And he did. Smelly, stinky, dirty. And the Bible says the father ran to greet him and created a celebration because this son came home. Don't give up praying for that prodigal kid in your family because I believe what God says they're going to make it back. Adam made a choice. It was bad for him. It's bad for us. I'm not so sure if we haven't made it worse and everything else, and people ask me from time to time, is there a way back, and my answer is quick, yes. There sure is. I'm gonna walk you through something really quick, really quick. Years and years ago, 1735 was what the beginning of what is called the Great Awakening. And it was due to the preaching of a guy named Jonathan Edwards, and also a guy named George Whitfield. I've got a book on Whitfield's sermons and sayings and it's something else. This is a guy that preached to crowds as high as 25 and 35,000 people, no microphone. God gave him a voice that was, I mean, that would carry to Pocahontas. Think of that, think of that. 25, 30,000 people gathered to hear George Whitfield preach. And this guy wasn't easy on anything. I mean, he started laying it out from the beginning that everybody's going to hell. And it got worse from there. Then he told them how to get right with God, and that's exactly what they did. But the First Great Awakening did something. It woke up the church. It, 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 it caused the church to come alive and made a difference. There was something else called the Second Great Awakening. I, I guess they didn't have too much imagination when naming these things. But uh, that came around... 1790 and into the low 1800s. And that was a revival that reached lost people. And it did something else. It reintroduced the second coming of Christ. And it changed America. In In 1906, a revival swept into Los Angeles, California, on a place simply called Azusa Street. It lasted for a couple, three years tremendous outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God. God did tremendous things in that revival. Two, three years before I went to Central Bible College to begin my education as, for ministry, a revival came on that campus. And this is how it happened. There were some students that were just really hungry for God. It wasn't a whole big It wasn't 100 students or anything. It was just a handful of students, 15 or 20 at the most. And they wanted to find a place to pray, and they wanted to do that every night. So the administration says, well, there's an old music room up in that top floor of that old building there, and you can have it. Cheers. So they took it, and they began to pray. And they met every night. They met every night, and they prayed every night. And God did something. We like to use terms like, God showed up. And yes, he did. And that revival spread clear across that campus. Classes stopped. Chapel was open 24 hours a day. The cafeteria was too. It wasn't meal. It was a loaf of bread and peanut butter. As we don't have time for meals. We have time to get a bite and go back and pray and seek God. People passing by that campus, many people, said there was a cloud on a crystal clear day. Crystal clear. But there was a cloud that had descended on top of that campus. And it stayed there for days and I can tell you this right now the people that were engaged in that revival are some of the great leaders of the church today when I got there in 1974 the effects and the overflow was still so present all over campus it was unbelievable God will meet his people when they pray. Let me close. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 6. 2 Chronicles chapter 6 and verse 18. There's a turnaround that's waiting for us saints. There's a turnaround for his church. There's a turnaround that God is, God is going to do. I, I, I just believe this with all of my heart. There is a turnaround. This is the days in which the dedication of the Solomon's great temple was occurring. Solomon was in that temple praying. He was in that temple praying and he asked in verse 18 a very, very important question that we need to ask today. Will God indeed dwell with men on earth? Wow. Will God speak to my heart today? Will God touch my life today? will God provide a direction in my life today? Will God talk to me? Will he literally talk to me today? That's a good question and it's answered. The answer comes when once again the glory of God fills the temple. And in chapter seven, we hear this, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and seek my face and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sins and I'll heal their land. That's what God wants to do. I need to give you a little touch of warning. I need to tell you, We don't read this, but we need to hear it. In verse 19, God says, if you turn away, though, and you forsake my statutes and my commandments, and you do other things, you go serve other gods and worship them, then I'm going to uproot you from the land. I believe there's hope. I've asked God throughout the week, how do you want to end this service? You know, I'm I'm good at getting it going. I'm good to the middle. Sometimes I have no idea what to do at the end. I feel like this is what God wants to do at the end. I just feel like we need to do, follow through, on what God says here in the 14th verse. Humble yourself, pray, Seek my face, turn from my sin. You know, ladies and gentlemen, revival, revival doesn't necessarily come to an entire congregation. It it will. But you know what? It starts with one person. It starts with that person. It starts with that person. Then it goes here. Then it goes over here. And here. And here. It starts that way. God could easily sweep in here and just do all kinds of stuff. But you know what? I, as, if I understand his word correct, he comes and speaks to us. As a man, as a woman, as a teenager, he speaks to us simply to humble ourselves before God. I believe God wants to wind this service up. I want you to do something. <clears throat> I want us to suspend it. A- minute or two. That's not much time, but it's a start. I want you to just simply spend that minute or two just seeking God. Follow His direction. Humble yourself. Pray. Seek my face. Turn from any wicked ways. I'm not going to ask you to raise hands. I'm not going to ask you to do anything but that. Just that. Let's turn turn the church this morning into a very short prayer service. You seek God. Bow your heads and do that. Do that today. Stand with me. I want to pray. Father, I pray that this is just a beginning note. I pray that it is a something real, something very real that is beginning in our lives. Father, I pray that it, perhaps for many people, It is a divine and holy reset in their life. Today, a new birth, a new hunger, a new desire has been birthed in people's lives. I pray, may the spirit of the Lord speak into our hearts in many different ways. Father, I pray that that perhaps you would even interrupt our daily routines, simply to cause us to pray and to reflect on you and to listen to you, to hear you. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, help us, help us not to go the way of the world or worldliness. Keep our church focused on Jesus, focused on the Word, focused on you. Father, I pray that when you return, you will find a body of believers waiting for you, looking for you, expecting you. We desire that. Help us. Help us to do this. Our flesh, flesh is pretty strong. Help us to get a handle on that. And not bow to it. And when we do, help us to seek your forgiveness. And press on. So Father, we thank you for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Lift your hands. Father, may the Lord bless and keep every person in this room. Cause your face to shine upon our lives, be gracious in our lives. Father, may you lift up your countenance upon us. And when you do, I pray that you will find people who have humbled themselves before you, seeking you, praying to you, turning from any form of wickedness or flesh in our life. We will sow righteousness. We will sow to the Spirit. We thank you for loving us today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. God bless you.